0: To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and before we start today's show, I'd like to thank Richard for his recent contribution. If you are able to help keep this show on the air, please go to andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com, click the banner at the top, or scroll down on the right-hand side, and have a look at the books. So today is Thursday, and I'm delighted to welcome back my good friend for his weekly visit, Dr. Peter Hammond. I'm going to bring up right now, Peter, are you with me?
1: Yes, I am. Thank you very much, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. And uh, as usual, Peter's got a great uh, show lined up for us. I've got the title here, The Real History You Can Find in Patrick Buchanan's Churchill, Hitler and the Unnecessary War. So where would you like to start us off today, Peter?
1: Well, Andrew, I've got this book right in front of me, 500 pages. The full title is Churchill, Hitler and the Unnecessary War, subtitled how Britain lost its empire, and the West lost the world. Patrick Buchanan, the author here, he's been the author of 11 books, uh, history books that I'm aware of. And uh, uh, this is certainly his um, magnum opus, as far as I'm concerned. This this is the best. I've read it several times. I've studied it, actually. I've I've given several lectures on the basis of it. Uh, This is probably the most important book I've read on the Second World War, in a sense that in one volume, it covers so much. And uh, those who may not know, Patrick Buchanan was the speechwriter and history researcher for President Ronald Reagan uh, back in the eighties, and uh, he became a presidential candidate uh, or uh, for for the Republican Party in the 1990s. And uh, uh, he's been a real thinker um, and a strategist. And while I may not and do not agree with everything Patrick Buchanan says or writes, of course, but, and he is American. And he's got different perspective but his research on the first and second world war and documenting why it was completely unnecessary i think is absolutely brilliant and in this monumental history a really explosive book actually he sheds new lights on the causes of the two world wars that made the 20th century the bloodiest century in the history of the world and brought an end to half a millennium, 500 years of Western dominance. And he asked, were these two world wars necessary? Were they inevitable? Or uh, were they the consequences of colossal failures of judgment and diplomacy? Was the British Empire fated to collapse and ruins as it did? Or was this the result of strategic blindness and blundering on a historic scale? And should Winston Churchill, who's been described as the man of the century, and hero to hundreds of millions, uh, should he not rather be castigated rather than celebrated for his indispensable role in the decline and fall of his beloved British Empire? And he points out that when Winston Churchill came to power as first Lord Admiralty in 1910, Britain was at the apex of its power. And by the time Winston Churchill retired from public office, Britain was basically ruined and bankrupt and no longer a, a the superpower of of the world, but inflects more like a third-rate power in his words. So he draws on the work of more than 100 historians, and he gives a lot of insight as to the true cause of why Britain lost its empire. And he takes uh, many great sources, uh, the Cold War, diplomacy, um, uh, leader, strategic thinker George Kennan, and uh, he looks at the primary principle, uh, Kennan said that the greatest historic blunder of the 20th century was Britain's war guarantee to Poland in 1939, which did nothing for Poland, but only guaranteed the World War. And uh, George Kennan is quoted uh, in the book of saying uh, to Patrick Buchan, uh, in response to his book, you make a strong case in my view for the thesis that the British guarantee to Poland was neither necessary nor wise. The British government could not improve anything by offering to the poles the support they were unable to give. They would have done better to shut up, to rearm as speedily as possible, and to avoid further formal commitments of any sort while waiting the turn of events. And that's George Kennan, who's, who's a major player uh, in, in the 20th century uh, in diplomacy. <clears throat> and so he looks at the First and Second World Wars as basically one. He looks at it as Europe's 30 years war, he calls it. And these were the bloodiest and most devastating conflicts ever suffered by mankind. And he says, were these inevitable? Were these fated by forces beyond men's control? And he concludes, no, they were products of calamitous failures of judgment. And this very monumental, provocative history book, he makes the case that were it not for the blunders of British statesmen, Winston Churchill first amongst them, the horrors of the world wars would have been avoided and the British Empire would not have collapsed into ruins, and the British could maybe still be the superpower and the dominant military political power in the world to this day uh, if it hadn't been for how they bankrupted themselves and also ruined uh, their credibility uh, by all the things that happened in the First and Second World War. And so amongst the many uh, British and Churchillian blunders which are documented by Patrick Buchanan in this phenomenal book, is the secret decision of a tiny cabal in the inner cabinet, and by that he means two people. Um, that was Winston Churchill as First Lord of the Admiralty and the Foreign Secretary, uh, who is uh, 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 Tony Gray. And uh, they, in 1906, without the knowledge of the cabinet, without the knowledge of the prime minister, without the knowledge of the king, determined to take Britain straight into war with Germany should uh, she ever come into conflict with France. And uh, this uh, was an absolutely catastrophic, disastrous decision. Uh, the vengeful Versailles Treaty of 1919 that mutilated Germany and left her absolutely bankrupt and um, with unbelievably record unemployment, where millions and millions were unemployed, uh, where people were starving, where the worst inflation in the history of the world, all of this resulting from the Treaty of Versailles, the ruinous reparations forced on, on Germany. Uh, led to Germany being receptive to the appeal of Adolf Hitler, who offered a way out and solution to the Versailles Treaty. Uh, Britain's capitulation at Churchill's urging to American pressure in 1921 to sever the Anglo-Japanese alliance resulted in not only I- insulting and isolating Japan, but pushing her onto the path of militarism and anti-Western conquest, which resulted... It uh, is reminded by Patrick Buchanan that Japan was Britain's ally for many years. And uh, in the First World War, Japan had been a very reliable ally that enabled Britain to pull almost all of her naval forces out of the Pacific. And Japan looked after British interests because Britain needed all their naval uh, uh, concentration in the Atlantic. And so uh, Japan had been a very reliable ally, and it was the American insistence that Britain severed their alliance of long-standing for something like 70 years with Japan, and it just pushed Japan over the edge into uh, where it got more and more in a radical direction. And then he also points out the 1935 sanctions by Britain against Italy, which drove Italy into an Axis alliance with Germany. And uh, the the sanctions of 1935 were completely unnecessary uh, over Abyssinia and um, then, of course, he focused a lot on the greatest blunder in British history, the unsolicited, unprecedented war guarantee to Poland, March 1939, which guaranteed the Second World War. Uh, he points out that Britain had never given a war guarantee to anyone before, that Poland had never been ally of Britain before that date, that Poland hadn't asked for this war guarantee, and uh, that uh, Britain did nothing to help Poland and could do nothing to help Poland. And uh, in, in the event didn't send so much as a bullet, or a bomb, or a bandage, uh, or bandage to Poland, and in the end betrayed Poland in the hands of Stalin, Soviet Union. Anyway, so uh, the uh, ostensible cause of Britain getting involved in the Second World War to protect Poland was neither asked for nor was it actually honoured, and uh, it was completely dishonest and has baffled diplomats and historians ever since, that why would Britain have done this? And in fact, the answer to that is given another phenomenal book, Freedom Betrayed, Herbert Hoover's, President Herbert Hoover's Secret History of America's involvement in the Second World War and its aftermath. And uh, he points out that in fact, uh, the United States government under Franklin Delano Roosevelt, put up Britain and France to giving a war guarantee to Poland and put up Poland to resisting Germany's request, totally reasonable request, that Danzig, which was 95% German, and had historically always been German, be handed back to Germany, which the Versailles Treaty had vindictively and short-sightedly taken away. So uh, interesting uh, insights given at different points here. Uh, he doesn't mention the the book by uh, by um, Herbert Hoover because that hadn't come out at the time this book was published, which was 2008. But Churchill's astonishing blindness to communist dictators, Soviet Union dictators, Stalin's true ambitions. So this book is is absolutely phenomenal. It's really vitally important. And uh, he makes a very strong case in this book. Uh, Patrick Buchanan points out that were it not for Winston Churchill's blunders and him being the primary agent pushing for Britain's involvement in the First and the Second World War, in fact, in the First World War, the entire British cabinet was against it. And Winston Churchill was at one stage, the only one pushing for war against Germany in August 1914. And uh, uh, he is uh, the common denominator to both Britain's involvement in the First and Second World War. And he points out that were it not Britain's involvement in these horrific two world wars, then the British Empire uh, would have endured to this day. And half a century of murderous oppression of hundreds of millions under iron boot of communist tyranny might never have happened. And Europe's central role in world affairs might have been sustained for many generations to come. Because let's face it, at the beginning of 1914, Europe ruled the world and Europe was the superpower. Uh, America and Russia were something of backwaters compared, but Europe was the greatest power in terms of political, military, spiritual, economic, in every area. And you think of the vast amount of the world that was ruled by Britain or France and Germany and Austria and by all the other powers, Belgium and so on in in Europe. Uh, Europe was a phenomenal power. Even the Netherlands owned the Dutch East Indies and and other areas around the world. So uh, the power of Europe was so great that there was no challenge visible for the next century, except that Europe turned on themselves in what he calls Europe's auto-genocide, where Europe twice worked on killing millions of one another's young people at spectacularly efficient rates and with catastrophic results and so he points out in churchill hitler and unnecessary war uh, he points out the historic failures of judgment which tragically ended centuries of christian european rule and guaranteed a terrible future which no one in the vanished world could have ever envisaged in the worst nightmares and how the world has gotten immeasurably worse as a direct result of the First and Second World War, and the blind foolishness of so much of those who were involved in it. So uh, this is this is um, a majorly important book. And uh, Patrick Buchan's got a particular reason for dealing with this book, because he points out that there's a Churchillian cult, not only in Britain, but in America, which has led to many mindless wars. So that uh, and we've seen it in our own lifetime just recently, uh, you know, uh, every enemy uh, is Hitler and uh, anyone who talks about peace is an appeaser like Neville Chamberlain. And uh, uh, anyone who wants to uh, wage war is uh, painted in Churchillian colors. And he said this Churchillian cult, which has made a cult out of a man who was actually neither uh, honest nor honorable, uh, nor was he in fact uh, successful uh, in in anything that he has been lifted up into such mythological level that it has led America to get involved in ill-advised wars, such as against Saddam Hussein's Iraq and against Assad's Syria and the uh, bombing and destruction of so many countries uh, around the world. It's often been inspired by some kind of Churchillian cult mentality. And so uh, he points out how George Bush, who launched these very ill-advised wars against Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, which have not ended yet. Uh, how uh, he had a bust of uh, Winston Churchill in the Oval Office in the White House, and that this is, in fact, very symbolic. So uh, what he does here, uh, Patrick Pagan, being a person who's been on the inside, he's actually been in the White House and been a special advisor and speechwriter and researcher for Ronald Reagan, uh, he cites many historians, over 100 historians, some of the the most respected historians in the book, uh, Neil Ferguson and George Kennan and Andreas Hillgruber. He is uh, quoting from uh, AJP Taylor, uh, many outstanding vital uh, insights. And uh, he argues it was a great mistake. It was the greatest mistake for Britain to turn against the historic friend and ally Germany in World War I and World War II. It was a disaster not just for Britain and the British Empire, but for the world. And everyone is the poorer and worse off as a result of Britain's involvement in this war. Because if Britain did not get involved in the First World War, then America wouldn't have gotten involved. Well, neither would South Africa, Rhodesia, Canada, Australia, and all, all the rest of the British Empire got involved, of course. But for example, just think of what started the First World War. A terrorist, a communist anarchist terrorist, uh, sponsored by the Serbian government, which was a rogue state, murders the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, the heir to the Austrian throne, and his wife, Sophie, on the 10th wedding anniversary in Sarajevo. And within a month, we, meaning the British Empire, are at war against Germany and Austria, who are seeking redress from this rogue nation, Serbia, uh, who's been backed up by not only the so uh, by Russia by the Russian Empire, but by France? So uh, okay, uh, Austria's got a, uh, a legitimate gripe with Serbia who have sponsored many terrorist attacks, which one of which even murdered the Empress of Austria, the the uh, wife of the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire uh, of the austria-Hungarian Empire himself. Um, and so, there had been so many attacks on so many heads of state throughout Europe by these anarchists and communists in in the early part of the 19th century. And Serbia was behind most of it. And Serbia was using their own weapons and they were uh, involved in training these people and equipping them and giving them the bombs and all the rest of it. Uh, And uh, on, on this particular occasion, it was just the last straw. And so Austria was moving on Serbia. And at the very beginning, Even the British government said that Austria's demands of Serbia were completely reasonable. And because Russia then mobilized on behalf of Serbia, Germany then mobilized on behalf of, uh, to support their ally Austria, and then France mobilized against Germany. Now, this is obviously already bigger than it needs to be, but you know what's going to happen. It's going to be a couple of month war, just like the Franco Prussian War of 1870. It'll be over in a few months and uh, some borders will get adjusted and everything will go basically back to normal. But then in August the 4th, 1914, a, a shock to everybody concerned, Britain gets involved. It's even a shock to the people in Britain, uh, because how did Britain get involved now on the side of a rogue nation like Serbia for assassinating um, a um, heir to the throne of Austria? So it, it was a bizarre situation. There was no good reason for it. And there's been a lot of lies about the whole thing since. Well, to have continued in the war year after year, even after uh, the Kaiser was offering let's in 1915, let's just have a reset. Let's all go back to the original borders. This is a bad idea from the beginning. Uh, so let's have a, um, a ceasefire and uh, and just stop this foolish war because it's being bogged down in trenches. But no, uh, Churchill, First Lord of Admiralty, comes up with this ridiculous Gallipoli plan of uh, that we're going to have uh, battleships attacking forts, which is a breach of the dictum of the Royal Navy since the time of Lord Nelson, that ships do not fight forts. And there, Lord Nelson's uh, uh, whole um, dictum gets thrown aside by First Lord the Admiralty Winston Churchill, who sends the Royal Navy right up the Dardanelles, sailing between forts and batteries, and vast amounts of British battleships, uh, cruisers and destroyers get uh, taken out, destroyed, sunk uh, by the Turks, extremely foolish. And he, he follows this up with throwing in the ground forces of Australians and New Zealand to get slaughtered by the thousands in absolutely pointless frontal charges against uh, entrenched uh, Turkish positions in extremely mountainous terrain where they had no chance whatsoever of success anyway. And this is so Churchillian. Uh, his uh, military disasters, he was uh, a catastrophe and uh, you can just look at all of the other disasters, like the Norwegian campaign, and uh, the way through the Canadians were at the Battle of Deep in 1942, and so on. So, uh, Churchill was not a, a wise military leader, and it's extraordinary how he's become so respected. And, uh, of course, it fits into the New World Order goal that this is a, a good war, and so on. So, uh, what Patrick began does is he accuses Winston Churchill, First Lord Admiralty, of having a lust for war in 1914. And uh, he shows uh, as, uh, for example, Kennan, who wrote in his uh, book 1984, The Faithful Alliance, that the 1894 Franco-Russian Alliance was an act of aggression and encirclement of Germany. And German foreign policy from 1894 on was defensive, not aggressive. Germany was, unlike Britain, didn't have, Channel around it, and unlike America, didn't have oceans on each side of it. Uh, Germany is very vulnerable with some very flat terrain, uh, where they could easily and had been for centuries invaded uh, from the east and from the west. Uh, of course, they'd been a battleground not only in the Thirty Years' War, which was disastrous in the 1600s, and they'd been uh, ransacked during the Napoleonic Wars uh, multiple times. And how many times that they faced attacks from the east? And so, uh, no, um, uh, he says Germany was not seeking world domination. Germany was one of the smaller uh, empires in the world, only the fourth largest empire in the world at that time. And uh, Britain and France were the ones dominating the world actually at that stage. And France and Russia, two massive empires on each side of Germany, uh, were in alliance against them. And Germany had every reason to feel threatened by a France which was obsessed with regaining Alsace-Lorraine and uh, which they had lost in the Franco-Prussian War of 1870. And uh, so in this, he says, Britain had no quarrel with Germany, and Britain had never fought Germany before 1914, and Britain and Germany were the best of friends and the best of allies. And the Battle of Waterloo had been won by the German forces coming to the rescue of the British forces who were uh, fighting Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo. And in fact, without uh, Marshal Blucher's uh, Prussians, arriving, uh, there wouldn't have been a victory at Waterloo because uh, while uh, Wellington's men had fought well and to, uh, uh, and held the line, uh, they were battered and they were bleeding and uh, they could not have sustained much more. They were running out of ammunition everything when uh, Blook arrived. And this is the way it had been. In the Seven Years' War, the Thirty Years' War, Britain and Germany had always been allies and uh, they'd never been enemies and Britain's enemy had historically been France and so this is actually quite a bizarre turn of events that Britain came on the side of Russia, who had fought in the Crimean War, and France, who had fought just about every other war, and uh, fighting against Germany, who had always been the ally. And after all, Germany is where Queen Victoria had come from, and, and so on. And so it was absolutely bizarre. Uh, the situation went there, and Britain had no reason uh, to want to go to war. And yet the British Foreign Secretary Edward Grey, and uh, the First Lord of the Admiralty. Winston Churchill conspired together irresponsibly, secretly, without even knowledge of the cabinet, uh, to have secret uh, cords and ententes with France, and effectively with Russia too. And this was not known. It was not known by Germany. It was not known by the British public. And uh, it was a shock to everyone concerned when Britain suddenly came into the war on France and Russia's side against Germany. And then Buchanan explodes a lot of myths, including the myth of German militarism. He said this anti-German myth uh, was invented by British statesmen, uh, and yet the record of Germany supports the belief that Germany was the least militaristic of all European powers. He says, in the century between the Battle of Waterloo of 1815 and World War I of 1914, Britain had fought more than 10 major wars and hundreds of minor ones. Germany had only fought three wars uh, in that 100 years. And Buchan points out that until 1914, the German Kaiser Willem II, although he'd been in power for 24 years, he hadn't fought a single war. But Churchill had served in three wars, and boasted of wiping out an entire Afghan village while he was about it, and supported scorched earth campaign against poor uh, women and children farmers uh, in South Africa. So Churchill himself in 1914, had seen more war than almost any soldier in the German army. And The most militaristic country in Europe was probably France, uh, followed by Britain. And uh, the least militaristic was certainly Germany, by all the records. And looking at the record, he says nobody did more to actually try and stop this uh, run into war than Kaiser Willem. Kaiser Willem II, who was the favorite grandson and the first grandson of Queen Victoria, and he died, Queen Victoria died in the arms of uh, Kaiser Wilhelm II. Kaiser Wilhelm II did everything he could to stop the war, and for him to be blamed for the war afterwards is just dishonest and extremely unfair because nobody did more to try and stop the war by personal intervention than Kaiser Wilhelm. And uh, it's made clear here that the record shows that the Russian mobilization of July 31st actually forced war on Germany. Germany had no real choice but to mobilize when Russia mobilized and France mobilized, Germany had to mobilize. She had a war on two fronts facing her, and she had to move fast or be overwhelmed with railway and other um, realities that made war a lot faster moving at that stage. So basically, the first to mobilize could win. And uh, and so they were seeing the importance of this. And to blame Germany and Kaiser Willem, Buchanan says, is uh, completely in variance with the facts of history. And then he accuses Churchill and Gray of getting Britain into war in 1914 by reckless promises that Britain would defend France without the knowledge of the cabinet, the parliament, or the population. And then Buchanan argues that the United States should never have fought in the First World War. It was deceived and dragged into war in 1917 by propagandists and liars and the CIF, the Committee for um, uh, Public Information, uh, which Woodrow Wilson commissioned in order to get the People of America who were overwhelmingly isolationist to be war hungry and to support the idea. And he said there were the myths of the rape of Belgium and all kinds of British lies and propaganda cooked up in the propaganda shops about babies being bayoneted and nuns being raped, and all of which were proved to be false, but which helped to persuade Americans to get involved in this war to end all wars and war for democracy and freedom, and uh, which was, of course, complete nonsense. And he points out over 100,000 Americans died for no good reason whatsoever. And this is why after the First World War, the Democrats were kicked out of every part of uh, uh, control that they could be, because they had led America to war, Woodrow Wilson and the Democrats, and the Republicans swept the board, uh, getting the White House, uh, getting the Congress and getting the Senate a majority and they passed the such strict laws make it impossible for America to ever again get involved in Europe's wars, or at least they thought so. But Franklin Del Roosevelt broke all these laws in dragging America into war and lend lease and supporting the Soviet Union and undermining uh, at every point uh, American policies and principles. It should have been jail time, treason, uh, what was being done, but that comes later. And then Buchanan points out that Britain's hunger blockade, the Royal Navy starvation blockade of Germany and Austria in the First World War, he calls it criminal and how it broke all codes of war up to then, where you were allowed to blockade a country at war to keep out uh, weapons of war, ammunition, but to uh, prevent food reaching the population had never been allowed, had not been done before. And this was a war crime. It was against the Geneva Convention, the Hague Conventions. And uh, this hunger blockade uh, of Germany led to Germany's counter-blockade using the submarines. They didn't have any navy that could uh, compete with the Royal Navy. Uh, on uh, above the water. So they tried the underwater counter blockade. And uh, this, of course, all led to more and more intensification of the war, which affected civilians. And then he quotes from British economist John Maynard Keynes, who wrote the book, The Economic Consequence of the Peace, that the reparations imposed on Germany in the Treaty of Versailles 1919 were absolutely impossible to pay led to catastrophic economic collapse, rampant inflation, widespread unemployment. And of course, uh, in that situation, there was no question, uh, but that uh, Germany had had a large amount of a territory stolen from her. And uh, it was unacceptable to have millions of Germans under the rule of Poles and Czechs and others who were obviously going to uh, want to clamor for reunification back into the Reich. And he points out, in contrast to Versailles, what a reasonable treaty Germany imposed on Russia when they defeated her on the Eastern Front, the Treaty of Brest-Latos. Germany asked for no reparations. They did not confiscate anything from Russia. They just wanted freedom to be given to, self-determination applied to Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Ukraine, Belarus, the Caucasus, Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan. And so literally, uh, if you look at the map today, Buchanan points out that the map of Eastern Europe today more resembles the Treaty of brest la where Germany had uh, forced on Russia uh, after their defeats on the Eastern Front in 1918, uh, the uh, principle of self-determination. And that the map today in Eastern Europe looks more like what uh, Germany imposed on Russia, the Treaty of brest la than what the Versailles Treaty did. The Versailles Treaty done by the West, uh, just outside of Paris at Versailles, uh, caused such chaos. And it created unworkable nations, polyglot nations, which could never survive, which never existed before and don't exist now. So, for example, Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia. And so he points out that Czechoslovakia should never have been created. It didn't exist before. Versailles, it doesn't exist now. Uh, It was a living contradiction of the principle of self-determination, he said. The Czechs were a minority in their own country where they were ruling over millions of Germans, Hungarians, Slovaks, Poles and Ruthenians. Multi ethnic, multilingual, multicultural, Catholic, Protestant conglomeration that there's never been uh, before. And so he indicts the Czech leaders, Edward Bernays and uh, Thomas uh, Mazarek, of deceiving the Allies, particularly Woodrow Wilson, on the ethnicity of the regions which became Czechoslovakia. And asked why he had consigned three million Germans to Czech rule. Winston, uh, Woodrow Wilson said, Why, well, Mazarek never told me that. Uh, But in fact, uh, even there, he was not telling the truth. Woodrow Wilson uh, was, in fact, a very hypocritical on a whole range of things as documented. And so when people asked, uh, where was Adolf Hitler born? One of the regular jokes uh, in the 1930s was Versailles, because in fact, his political career was made possible because of the extreme injustice and vindictiveness uh, of the Versailles Treaty and his main speech which got him elected, was entitled simply Versailles. Uh, because, uh, as Buchanan points out, the world wars were effectively the great civil war of the West. And he says Britain should have stayed neutral rather than upholding an unfair treaty of Versailles, an unjust treaty of Versailles, an impossible treaty of Versailles. And Buchanan damns the success of British and French leaders for not offering to revise Versailles in Germany's favour in the 1920s while the Weimar Republic was in existence. And he said, that would have prevented the rise of Hitler, who rose particularly to put right those injustices. And so Buchanan agrees with the quotations of a whole series of historians that the attempt by German Chancellor Heinrich Brüning to found a German Austrian customs union in March 1931, if it had not been vetoed by the West and blocked, it would have prevented Hitler from coming to power. But It was the Allies opposing every single attempt of the German government to try, whether it was under Stressmann or Brüning or Ebert, all the previous German statesmen were undermined in their attempts to bring about an equitable system in Germany, which made it inevitable that someone like Adolf Hitler was going to rise up in order to put right the injustices of the Versailles Treaty, which was unworkable, and that the West continually sabotaged every attempt of the Weimar Republic to survive. Uh, And and to uh, be workable, and so he then points out that there's a a moral equivalence between uh, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. And why did Britain take the side of the Soviet Union and oppose Germany? And in fact, as Buchanan pointed out, in 1939, before the first before the Second World War uh, actually uh, broke out, uh, Stalin had killed something in the region of 28 to 30 million. And uh, Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party had killed less than two hundred, he said. Uh, when you look at the differences in nineteen thirty-nine, before the outbreak of the war, uh, you know the Soviet Union were the world leaders, and they still are at uh, mass murder. And uh, why would we have allied ourselves with the Soviet Union, under the worst dictator in the history of mankind, the biggest mass murderer, uh, for for any reason? And that that makes no sense why uh, Britain gave a war guarantee to Poland, which was impossible to fulfill and which made war inevitable. And then he says that Hitler's foreign policy program was more moderate than even Germany's chancellor in the First World War, uh, Bethmann-Holwig's September program. And he says, Hitler was interested only in expanding into Eastern Europe, recovering German territory lost by the Versailles Treaty. He did not seek territory in Western Europe, He did not even seek territory in Africa. He was not even that interested in regaining Germany's colonies overseas because he recognized that they would be hostage to the Royal Navy if there was ever a war with Britain. And they could easily be taken because uh, Germany's Navy could not challenge the Royal Navy. And so uh, it was interesting that uh, Buchanan points out that Benito Mussolini was committed to the stressor Front of 1935. And it was an act of folly on the part of Britain to vote for League of Nations sanctions on Italy when they invaded Abyssinia. Uh, and he said this only drove Italy into alliance with Germany, who before that had been in firm alliance with Britain and France against Germany. And the British opposition to the Italian Ethiopian war was unnecessary, because the small territory that Italy controlled was countered by the much larger British territories around them. And Italy could never pose a threat to the British colonies. And it was also pretty hypocritical when Britain was taking countries all over Africa and the world, and now they're wanting to get sanctimonious about uh, Mussolini doing the same sort of thing they had done. And so Buchanan says that uh, Churchill had actually described Abyssinia as a wild land of tyranny, slavery, and and tribal war, and no one can keep up the pretense that Abyssinia is a fit, worthy, and equal member of the League of Civilized Nations. So... Churchill didn't even have any respect for Abyssinia, yet he supported sanctions on Italy for invading Abyssinia. And so that crisis pushed Britain and Italy to the brink of war. And this, at that very moment, pushed Italy into the arms of Germany's uh, rearmament program. And now Italy, instead of opposing Germany's rearmament, supported it. And so Buchanan points out that, in fact, the Franco-Soviet Pact was an aggressive move directed at Germany, which violated the Locarno Treaties, and uh, in fact gave Adolf Hitler a very strong case to argue that uh, this may- meant that the Treaty of Versailles disarmament was violated by the Allies, and therefore uh, he started the rearmament and also the remilitarization of the Rhineland as a direct result of the French-Soviet treaty uh, that was made in 1935. So. These sort of facts are often left out of history books today. It doesn't fit the narrative. Buchanan argues that Hitler's public demands of Poland in 1938 and 39 were reasonable. They're asking free access to the free city of Danzig uh, and extraterritorial roads across the Polish corridor and wanted uh, Poland to join him in an anti common pact to build an anti-Soviet German-Polish alliance and said that these were genuine attempts Germany did not want Poland as an enemy, but as an ally against its common enemy of the Soviet Union. And it was the inexplicable, uh, unprecedented British and French war guarantee to Poland that undermined uh, what would have been better for all concerned. So Buchanan says that Hitler definitely wanted Poland as an ally against the Soviet Union, not as an enemy, and he quotes numerous historians, including Uh, Simon Newman and Andrew Roberts and uh, Lord Halifax, arguing that the war guarantee to Poland was a deliberate ploy on part of its foreign minister, Lord Halifax, designed to cause a war with Germany. And in fact, now we know, in fact, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was behind the whole thing as well, uh, pulling the strings from America and no doubt wanting to see Europe involved in a ruinous war, which America would benefit from in many different ways. And so Buchanan caused Chamberlain's war guarantee to Poland rash, fatal blunder, which caused the end of the British Empire, and the end of European supremacy in the world. And he points out that the use or threatened use of force to maintain the status quo may be morally more culpable than the use or threatened use of force to alter it. And he points out that the extraordinary thing is, Britain, under Churchill, chose as its enemy an Anglophile who wanted to preserve and protect the British Empire, and chose as an ally uh, those who wanted to destroy the British Empire, namely Stalin and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And so it was an extraordinary thing that, uh, in fact, in the 1930s, Adolf Hitler and Hess and uh, Goebbels and the others in the German uh, Third Reich were probably more pro-British and pro-the British Empire than almost anyone in the British cabinet would have been at that stage. And it's a bizarre thing that Britain chose as its allies, those who hated the British Empire and were committed to destroying it. Buchanan accepts this picture presented by the British historian, AJP Taylor, who wrote The Origins of the Second World War 1961, which pointed out that Polish Foreign Minister Colonel Joseph Beck was a frivolous, irresponsible man, incapable of understanding the magnitude of the crisis that was facing his country and the catastrophe that he was causing by his intransigence. So Buchanan pointed out that instead of offering a war guarantee to Poland, which Britain couldn't fulfill and didn't fulfill, they should have rather recognized it was impossible to save Eastern Europe from German action, instead set about rearming Britain in order to be prepared for any future war, if it should be necessary. But he says the acceptance of Eastern Europe as Germany's sphere of influence as a pro quo for Germany staying out of Western Europe would have been far better than the Second World War. And this offer was made before 1939. It was made in 1940. It was made again 1941 by Rudolf Hess, the deputy Fuhrer, as we've dealt with in the previous program. And it, it was a great blunder on the part of Chamberlain to declare war in Germany in 1939. And it was an even greater blunder on the part of Churchill to refuse Hitler's 16 offers of peace in 1940 and 41. And this made the World War II the unnecessary war of the title. And The interesting thing about the title is, when President Roosevelt was asking publicly for suggestions, what do we call this war, Winston Churchill writes in his memoirs, I said at once, the unnecessary war. There never was a war more easy to stop than that which has just wrecked what was left of the world from the previous struggle. Quote, unquote, from Winston Churchill, the unnecessary war. There's never been a war more easy to stop than that which has just wrecked what was left of the world from the previous struggle. And so Patrick Pagan says... This was not just Hitler's war. This was Chamberlain's war. This was Churchill's war. This was Franklin Roosevelt's R- war. And this was the Stalin's war. And he said the peace offer made by the German Foreign Minister Joachim von Ribbentrop to the British Ambassador Sir Neville Henderson on the night of 30th of August 1939 was not a ploy, as many historians have tried to argue, but a genuine German offer to avoid war. And he agrees with many other uh, historians of the time that. Hitler's offers to Britain in the summer of 1940 were real and Churchill was foolish to refuse them. And Buchanan calls the Morgenthau plan of 1944 a genocidal plan for the destruction of Germany promoted by a vengeful Henry Morgenthau and his deputy, the Soviet agent, Henry Dexter White, to ensure Soviet domination of Europe. And he describes Churchill as being amoral for accepting it. And so, in fact, uh, he's got a lot of interesting things. He points out that Winston Church was a man who disarmed Britain in the 1920s. He's the one who brought in the 10-year rule in 1919 based on British defence spending assumption that there'll be no major war for at least the next 10 years. And he stopped building ships. And in fact, they started to dismantle British warships while America was just starting to build warships. And uh, Britain uh, was left left in, in the dark. So, Churchill is shown to be, in fact, a very inept military leader who caused military debacles like the Dardanelles campaign, the Siege of Antwerp, the Norwegian campaign, uh, Gallipoli, the Battle of Singapore, biggest disaster in the British Empire to that date, this Dieppe raid which just squandered thousands of Canadians on on an impossible task. And he points out that considering how many efforts were made by Hitler and Hess to have an anti-Soviet alliance with Britain The British leaders of the 1930s were, in fact, ill-advised to have undermined every attempt to defeat the Soviet Union and every attempt to have Germany as an ally. He also tackles the British strategic bombing campaigns, the saturation bombing of cities targeting civilians, uh, as a policy of barbarism and terrorism simply for the sake of terrorism, and the bombing of Dresden in 1945, and he blames Churchill for these, and... There's also, when he speaks about the betrayal of Eastern Europe in the Yalta agreement, calls it a crime against humanity of historic dimensions, where over 100 million people, mostly Christians, were betrayed in 15 nations across Europe into the hands of Stalin's KJB, NKVD, Soviet dictatorship, and the millions of people who died as a result, and the millions of German citizens who died who were being expelled from all over Eastern Europe. And as Russia was given vast amounts of Poland and Poland was given vast amounts of Germany and uh, millions of Germans were uh, expelled or murdered out of Czechoslovakia and out of uh, Yugoslavia and so on. And Buchanan writes, not only should Britain never be involved in the First or Second World War, the United States should have stayed out of both. And in fact, the United States short-sight policy of insisting that Britain sever its Anglo-Japanese alliance in 1921 actually led to the militarization and radicalization of Japan. Uh, he says, if the Second World War had not taken place, the British Empire would have continued throughout the 20th century. And World War II went on far too long, and Britain emerged bankrupt. They had mortgaged the empire, they had nothing remained of the assets overseas, uh, their gold had been shipped off to America to pay for lend lease, not just Lend Lease for Britain, but Lend Lease for uh, the Soviet Union. And a lot of that was often gold, um, which uh, we've talked about previously. Um, Millions of pounds of gold shipped from South Africa on the USS Quincy uh, to New York to pay for Lend Lease, not just to Britain, but to Russia, to the Soviet Union. And uh, our parliament never discussed it. It was never voted on. It was not even known. It wasn't into our history books. We had to learn from American history books that General Smuts had on Winston Churchill's urging, just given away all South Africa's gold to pay for Lend-Lease, which would never help us. In fact, it would lead to the ruin of our country ultimately as well. So the, uh, the ruin of Britain economically, which brought the communists to power in Eastern Europe and to China in power in 1949, could have all been avoided if Britain had not guaranteed war for Poland in 1939. And so uh, what he looks at here is, The British war guarantee to Poland, March 1939, was the greatest geopolitical blunder of the 20th century. And he challenges a lot of historic taboos by claiming Winston Churchill plunged Britain and its empire, including Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Rhodesia, South Africa, into wars whose outcome was disastrous for everyone concerned. And he made the fatal error in World War II of backing Poland's hold on to Danzig, even though Britain could do nothing to defend Poland or Yugoslavia or Czechoslovakia, from Germany's attempts to reunite millions of Germans stranded in these new nations by the dreadful Versailles Treaty. And so Britain's declaration war on Germany over Poland led to a general European war and later a world war, which left how many millions of people dead and ended with the not just Poland, but the whole of Eastern Europe being occupied by Stalin's Soviet Union. And so this uh, is a book that I think is so important what... Has been done here, uh, I think, is absolutely vital, and um, I think uh, this Churchill Hitler and unnecessary war how Britain lost the empire and the West lost the world, is in many ways must reading for anyone who wants to understand twentieth century history. Back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you very much, Peter. And I just want to um, uh, let the audience know: uh, what well, can you um, can you give a rough idea of how many hours it took you to read that book, Peter?
1: Uh, Yes, I I can. It was, um, it was something in the region of 15 hours. Um, uh, It was a good 15 hour read. And, um, and I've I've read it at least uh, two and a half times. And uh, I've gone back and studied certain chapters, like the Versailles Treaty chapter, absolutely staggeringly important. Uh, Yes, so um, I must have spent on this uh, here, on Patrick McCann's book, probably in excess of 45 hours.
0: Yes, absolutely. And uh, with one read taking 15 folks, um, the reason that we're putting these shows together is Peter has a a great skill in being able to summarise and pull the big details out and so he's done the work in reading the book and that's why we put these shows out and recently we've been focusing on the world wars and I just want to draw your attention to the website uh, my website com. now those of you who've been following me for a while know that the shows stay up for about a month and then they drop off however in all the posts for the shows that I do with Peter Peter keeps a full archive of all his shows with me so you can go there and get them also but just to let you know at the moment um, if you Go to the bottom of the website and work up. You've got uh, show 1444, uh, Leon de Grel's real story of the Eastern Front. Then you've got uh, 1449, the real story of espionage in World War II. And then you've got 1454, the real history you can find in the books of David Irving. And, of course, you've got uh, today's show on this Patrick Buchanan book. So please get these shows while you can. But, as I said, uh, bookmark Peter's link that's in the post for all these shows through our show archive that he kindly hosts on his website. This is important history, folks. And it, it's so useful, I find, when someone's able to summarise and save Uh, the listener the job of reading a book for that length of time that some people do not have uh today despite lockdowns and what have you and some people prefer to listen to audio but at the same time if you like what you hear then you know go and grab the book we hope that uh you know, It's been a good primer for that. So uh, we're coming up to the end of the show. Let me have a look. We've got a couple of minutes left. So uh, in these uh, two minutes or so, we'll feel free to go over. Can you just, uh, I'll, I'm going to read through, obviously, the websites uh, of yours, Peter, because uh, we, we always touch on the Frontline Fellowship. But there are others, and so I'm going to just uh, ask you to summarise briefly each of these websites at the bottom. So firstly, we've got Peter's Frontline Fellowship website, and next we've got Peter's Reformation Society website. What can you tell us about that?
1: Well, our Frontline Fellowship website, FrontlineMissionSA.org, that's got Missions to Persky Church reports on uh, especially what's going on in the Muslim, the Communist worlds, and uh, the churches that are suffering there and how we can help them. But I've seen it's important to also put a lot of audio and video, which will include a lot of history things. So many of my lectures uh, are available also on links on that site in video PowerPoint or in audio form.
0: Excellent. And uh, next, if we go to Peter's, sorry, your Henry Morton Stanley School of Christian Journalism website.
1: Right, because... (laughs) <laughs> we get so much fake news, just like we get fake history, uh, I've seen need to be putting on a uh, a series of, of articles and some uh, lectures and videos on the Henry Morton Stanley School of Christian Journalism or HMS org website, uh, some that help us understand what's going on in the world, of course, in the last year, in particular, the revolutions and, and how Marxists work, so that we understand the cultural war and cultural Marxism. And uh, so that is very much far more current.
0: Excellent. And next we move on to your Livingston Fellowship website.
1: Livingston Fellowship is sermons and Bible studies, straight. So uh, sermons and Bible studies, which in fact I've now got, I think on Sermon Audio, uh, 890 sermons uh, uh, on Sermon Audio. And so uh, what you'll get is Bible studies, my summaries of every book of the Bible and other projects I've done like Expounding Each of the Ten Commandments. So Livingston Fellowship's only Bible studies and sermons.
0: Excellent. We've got a couple more left, and that's your Christian Action website.
1: That deals with pro-life, pro-family, fight for our families, our faith, and our future. So it'll deal with particularly uh, the perversion, the battle for marriage, uh, the attacks on the family, uh, fighting for the right to life, pre-born babies against abortion, and so on. So that's very much social action, boots on the ground, uh, street work that we do, getting into the malls, Uh, to try and uh, combat against the anti-Christian perversion, which we know Hollywood and the lamestream media are pushing.
0: Yes, and finally, and this isn't all of uh, uh, Peter's websites, folks. He has many more, but uh, we don't list them all. We list uh, the ones that Peter sent to me. But uh, I can put more up if you would like, uh, Peter, and if you want to change any of them around. But uh, finally, what I always put out with our shows is the Christian Liberty Books website. What can you tell us about that?
1: Well, Christian Liberty Books, we started over 25 years ago, and it's particularly to help homeschoolers. So home educators, those who want uh, to either subsidize, uh, supplement what they're getting from the schools with Christian textbooks. Uh, we've actually got 6,000 titles. We've brought in titles from all over the world, but we've also produced uh, well over 100 titles ourselves of textbooks, history, science, uh, everything, even, even maths from a Christian perspective. So uh, this is particularly to help people who want to educate their children in a biblical worldview without all of the New World Order propaganda.
0: And finally, Peter, how people can contact you?
1: My personal email is peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za, and our uh, mission email address is mission at frontline.org.za. Of course, we're also on Facebook as well.
0: Thank you so much, Peter. Fantastic presentation as always, folks. You have been listening to The Real History You Can Find in Patrick Buchanan's Churchill, Hitler and the Unnecessary War. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I will, of course, be back with you all tomorrow. Until then, folks, have a wonderful day and bye for now.